Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. We read it last week. It says this. There is one body. Let me hear you say one. One body. There is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, through all and in all. This morning, I want to talk briefly about the concept of one Lord. Lord is kind of a strange little, I guess, four-letter word, if you will. And unless you grew up in the church or if you watch a lot of British periodic dramas, you may not be familiar with what the term is. Or maybe, maybe you've just uh, you've heard the 12 days of Christmas and you can't figure out why the lords are always leaping. Um, <laughs> but this word Lord, Paul uses it frequently throughout the New Testament to describe the person of Jesus. And so the Greek word here for Lord is actually kurios. That's how it's pronounced. We got that one in there, Toei? There it is. Kurios, not curious. You may be curious about it. So kurios, and it means supreme in authority or controller. Maybe you don't like that word. (laughs) Um, Jesus is not a control freak, okay? But we're going to discuss what it means to submit ourselves under his authority this morning briefly. So this word kurios, it doesn't just come, it comes from the, the Greek in the New Testament because of a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. Okay, so this is the oldest extant, meaning it's still existing, earliest copy or translation of the original Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. And Paul refers to the Septuagint a lot in his writings. And so this word, kurios, it appears in the Septuagint in the Old Testament several places. One of the places I'd like to point out is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is the Shema. This is a Hebrew... um, incantation, for lack of a better phrase, uh, that, that is still to modern day, the Shema is, is per- performed or said together as a chorus almost in several meetings as they go. Um, and it says, it starts, it's called Shema because the first word is Shema or hear. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, Kurios, also Yahweh, is, or the Lord, our what? God. Okay, so here, Paul, by referencing the same word that is used for Yahweh in the Old Testament so often, he is, he's making it very clear with a high Christology, which is this view that Jesus is God. He is in very nature God, as we read in Philippians 2. He is not just the Son of God, but he carries the full authority of God. And so Paul reaffirms this in Ephesians, where he says, that the Lord, one Lord, the Lord is Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh. And then what else does he go on to say here? The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Where have we heard that before? Right? There is one God. So this, this word one carries a couple connotations to it. One is that there's a singularity or, um, to it or a supremacy about the idea that there is only one true God um, that we would call the God of the Bible. And um, the other idea comes from, actually, the idea that he wants to be the only God in your life. So looking back now to Ephesians, one Lord. Some of your translations may say one master. Okay? Let's skip over to Matthew chapter 6, and, and we read in verse 24 how hard it is to serve two masters. 
Okay, it says that no one can serve two masters. The word for masters here, the same word, kurios. No one can serve two gods. Either they will hate one and love the other, or they will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't choose both. (laughs) Amen. And before I get too much further into this, um, you realize that you are an amazing worshiper. And, I, and not necessarily in this room, although we can work on that. Um, but you, as by nature being a human being, you were created to worship. Last week, uh, Pastor Kurt talked about the idea of one body and the idea that if you are a Christian, it's not like you still got to join up to become part of the body of Christ. No, if you're a Christian, you are a member. You are a member. Why not be a useful one? <laughs> I heard Francis Chan. Oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble getting off now. Francis Chan... Um, one time I heard him talking about this metaphor of the body of Christ. He says, do you ever look at people in the church and wonder, what part of the body are you? Are you like a spleen or a, you know, or, or I don't know, something else? It's like, we don't really know what your function is other than you could probably explode and kill us at any time. Um, but why not be useful? <laughs> why not be a useful member to the body? So similarly in that fashion, you are a worshiper not because you're a Christian, but because you are a human and that we were created to worship. And we see this. Archaeologists, actually, they follow the patterns of human history by looking for evidence of worship. Animals don't leave evidence of worship, but humans do. But you say, well, but I'm not really into God. Well, that's okay. You can worship other things. In his book, Gods at War, Kyle Eidelman tells a story about a friend of his who'd recently returned from a mission trip from India. And he was showing him pictures, and he noticed in this one room that there was a picture of a statue that was set as kind of a focal point in this room. And, and he thought, well, that's interesting. What's that? He says, oh, that was their god such and such. It's like, oh. And as he looked closer at the picture, he saw that there were all the furniture in the room was aligned to face the focal point of the statue on the wall. And he said he kind of felt a sadness about it, that a family would physically orient their house around this false god. And so he went home, sat down on the couch, turned on the TV, and looked around his living room and noticed that every chair in the living room was pointing to the TV on the wall. (laughs) And I wonder... In a day and age in which research shows that the average American watches four and a half hours of television per day, I'm just curious how much the average American time spends on their face before the living God. You say, well, I don't really watch TV. Well, that's okay. I mean, you may may bow at the altar of self-achievement, being a self-made person. You may bow at the altar of your physical appearance or at the altar of social media, grasping for some sense of belonging and finding your identity or or significance somewhere else. It may be in professional sports. It could be in a whole realm of things. But here's the point. None of these things are necessarily bad things in and of themselves unless they become, for us, a substitution of the one true God. And Kyle says this in his book. He says, what if it's not about statues? What if the gods of here and now are not the cosmic deities with strange names? What if they take identities that are so ordinary that we don't recognize them as gods at all? What if we do our kneeling and our bowing with our imaginations and our checkbooks and our search engines and our calendars? No one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. The great theologian Bob Dylan said it this way. <laughs> says, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. <laughs> right? Joshua 24:15 says, you need to choose this day whom you will serve. And I think when he said, he realized that sometimes it's a daily choice for us to choose to serve God. And sometimes it's hour by hour or minute by minute. My grandmother had a serenity prayer of sorts posted on her wall um, as we were growing up. I don't remember exactly what it said, but it was something to the extent of, Lord, so far today I haven't done too bad. You know where this is going. (laughs) I haven't cussed anyone out. I haven't screamed at my kids. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't cut anyone off in traffic like, but Lord, in about a minute, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to need your help a whole lot more from then on. <laughs> because, and Joshua knew that sometimes you got to choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, he says, we will serve the Lord. And maybe you don't like the word serve or servitude. It sounds demeaning. Well, I got good encouragement for you. It gets worse. Romans 6 says, though, though you were once slaves to sin, you are now slaves to righteousness. <laughs> what? I don't know if I like this Jesus anymore. He's controlling and I'm a slave? Like, this is a weird picture. Okay. But you got to understand first that Jesus does not carry the same humanity that we do. He was fully human, but he was fully God. And so we can trust in him. And here's a little picture, I think, of what it looks like for us to submit our authority under the authority of Jesus. And it's this video clip. Maybe you've seen it floating around this week. But go ahead and play that, Tori. All right. Well, there's one more gift. We have one more gift. It's not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you careful open it up. There we go. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be your parents. I love you so much. I love you. <laughs> I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. For the Christian in this room, that's the picture of God. He has adopted you as his son, as his daughter, as an heir to the throne and the promise of God. And who in their right mind would not want to submit to that sort of loving authority in your life? Someone who truly has the best for you at mind. You don't have your best at heart. You don't know what that is. (laughs) You think you do. But no, Jesus, the one who knew you when you were still in your mother's womb, who formed you, the one who knows your innermost thoughts, the one who sees the condition of your heart, the one who has a great plan for you, as we read in Jeremiah 29, plans for a future and a hope. Why not submit ourselves 
under that authority. And the good news, if you're not a Christian in this room, he's given you the gift. He's laid it out on the table. You can receive it whenever you want. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I'm not going to sing for you. (laughs) I do have notes up here, but there's one thing that the Lord keeps bringing into my mind. It's right before I got in here this morning. He says, keep the main thing, the main thing. (laughs) Keep the main thing, the main thing this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. And as Josiah was talking about, we cannot serve two masters. And when we look back at Ephesians 4, what we've been talking about is the unity of the body. So we're trying to look at this scripture in context of community. And and what would that mean to worship as a community? And I think sometimes we forget that we're people of the covenant, (laughs) that we're people of, and we, we spend time alone, a lot of us, with Jesus. We're very devoted to, to that time, and we worship him, and we're in the scriptures, and, and we're praying. But I think sometimes we, in the American church, we might have this tendency to bring the privatized relationship, the just me and you, Jesus relationship, into a church building and, and just keep it here. We might say hi to you, but it's not a collective experience of what we're worship, of who we're worshiping. And I hope you know where my heart is on this because I I, I deal with this sometimes, and and to I, I have to confess to you, um, the Lord really convicted me this week because I was at um, Bible study <laughs> actually, and we were talking about worshiping and serving, and I and I we were going in depth about it. And I told them, I said, you know, sometimes I don't worship fully in here or I don't even respond fully to the sermon because guess who my father, my earthly father is. <laughs> my, my dad is the lead pastor if, if it's the first time that you're here. And, and sometimes I feel like I can't express myself because it's going it, to, it'll be weird because it's like Allie's cheering on her dad. And I'm like, well, no, I'm actually cheering on the bigger one. (laughs) And I I confess to you that I, a lot of times, keep this, um, keep my, what you might think of me, from me fully worshiping and engaging in the community of believers of the one who is in all, over all, and through all, and gave all for me. And so when we look at this scripture, I... To love and serve and worship him with all your heart. That's, that's your heartbeat. Where your life and your love f- flow from. And I think that in our world it's so emotion heightened. And we follow your heart. That's what you hear a lot, right? You follow your heart. Go with what you're feeling. And people get so intense. And we're not um, really basing our heart. We think our heart are, is our emotions. 
But in John 4.23, it says true worshipers worship the Father in both spirit and in truth. So worship has to be accurate and it has to be authentic. And I think sometimes we, we, we get so afraid of letting people in because the world is harsh, right? Have you ever been there where you don't want to feel anything anymore? You're like, no, cutting it off because this world is way too hard for me. <laughs> but the problem with follow your heart and do whatever you want to do or nope, I'm not going to let anyone in is that you're still in control of your heart. I'm still in control. I do it all the time. But I want us to be aware that in Matthew 24, 12, it says that in the end days, that in the end days, our love for another will grow cold. So I'm begging us as the church, keep our love warm. (laughs) Keep our hearts on fire for the one living God so that we can be this hope for a world that's trying to find that even if they don't understand it, to guard our heart above all else for everything we do flows from it. There's that word again, all. We can't serve two masters. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, above all else. It's not a half half in, half out. And I think we we kind of excuse that in the church. We, we've been not asking or not saying, we have got to be all in. For some reason, it's like, oh, whenever you, whenever you can, like, we don't want to make people feel guilty. But it's not about guilt. It's, it's you see how glorious he is, what he's done in our lives and in our hearts. It's spirit and it's truth. It's authenticity and it's accuracy. It's emotion and it's doctrine. <laughs> he's in all of it. And our soul is what we've been created with, nothing that we've earned with all of our soul. Those are the gifts God has given you. He, I'm American. Like, I didn't do anything to deserve that. I didn't do anything. But that's a gift that God has given me that I can use to advance his kingdom. If you look at it that way, these are the gifts that God has given you. Above all else, we must remember that we are citizens of heaven. Philippians 1:27. To love the Lord with all your mind. Mark 12, 28 through 30. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, one thing I want to point out here is that it says your mind in this one, but it doesn't in Deuteronomy. But Jesus is talking specifically to the Pharisees in this moment. So he's pointing out it's not just about doctrine. It's not just about law. It goes so much further than that. Rick Warren writes this, and I just, I read this this week. It says, God is not pleased with thoughtless singing of hymns, perfunctory praying of cliches, or careless exclamations. Praise the Lord, because we can't think of anything else to say at the moment. If worship is mindless, it is meaningless. You must engage your mind. Engage your heart, engage your soul, engage your mind. And last of all, love the Lord your God with all your strength. And and this can come from 
really what it's talking about is your efforts and your energy. What do you have to give him? What are the things that he has given you in this world to give back to him? But I, I actually believe that it's our spiritual disciplines too. Praying, being in the scriptures, silence, which is a hard discipline for us in a world that's so loud and always at our fingertips. But if we go straight to the strength, if we go straight to the outwardly things that we can physically touch, we, we aren't penetrating to the heart of the issue. So we can read our Bibles, we can, we can pray, we can come to church but not be changed because we haven't started, started at the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. So where is your heart? And what's interesting is, have you ever heard that saying, the heart of the matter? Let's get to the heart of the matter. Well, I looked it up. I'm like, what does this really mean? And it's what's crucial, and it says the crux, the cross. And I was like, where, the heart of the matter, where facts and emotions and all of those things meet right there. What is going on at the heart and the core of who you are and who are you worshiping? Romans 12.1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship. And as we say around here, the problem with the living sacrifice on an altar is it can crawl off. <laughs> and I think that sometimes we do that day to day, as Josiah was talking about, that daily choice. You know, and, and, and worship is not always convenient. It's not comfortable sometimes. And sometimes you don't feel like it. But when you have a willing heart and a willing sacrifice to come before the Lord, he will meet you at that place. It's a sheer act of worship. And so when we go into this time of worship, I think of Matt Redman and I don't know if you guys know him. He's a kind of a well-known worship leader. And throwing it back to 97, some of you guys were not born in 1997, so I get that. But there's a song called The Heart of Worship. And he got to the point where he's, he was leading, and in their church they decided not to do any music until they found other ways to worship. So they just didn't worship on Sunday morning. They did not do music on Sunday mornings. The difference. They didn't do music on Sunday mornings. And then he wrote the song, Heart of Worship. And it says, I'll bring you more than a song because a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within than the way things appear. You're you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to... There we go. I sang for you. Um, (laughs) Don't get used to it. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, But I think that sometimes we come in here... This ideal, this idea of self-religion, we need to move into self-oblivious worship. That's what I keep thinking. Self-oblivious worship. Where we get, we know that the people around us are self-obliviously worshiping too, that it doesn't hold us back. If I am very ecstatic and I know that I'm a crazy person when I'm worshiping, but some people can worship just as truly sitting there and listening and letting the words wash over them. It's not a judgment. It's just that are we fully engaged, not only in music, but in preaching? Preaching is not just hear what I have to say, but it's a listening. It's an engagement because we're trying to point you to the Father. Everything's a pointing to the Father. 
He is our audience when we're singing. Jesus, our one Lord, our master. He's the one who chose the 12 disciples knowing very well that one would betray him. And still, he was with them. He treated them the same. Jesus gave all he had for the just in case. Just in case you might choose him, he's going to give you everything he's got. Just in case. There was no promises that any of us would. But he said just in case. That's the Jesus we're talking about. Wouldn't you want to serve someone like that who's willing to give you everything if you decide to follow him? Even if? So as we enter this time of worship, I want you to think, where is my heart? What am I focused on? What are the unearned gifts or circumstances you need to ask God to breathe his life into? And what is your thought life, the distractions, even struggles in theology? Sometimes we come in here and we get so distracted by something maybe just sounded off or what we don't, that we, we're not listening to the true words of the Spirit speaking to our souls? And have you gotten off of the altar of sacrifice? And is it time to maybe crawl back on? (laughs) What do you have to give them? Your energy and your effort. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as we were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. I love that picture. I, I, I see it like a giant hug. <laughs> I have My love language is physical touch, so I tend to see everything in a hug. God is above all, through all, and in all. He's asking for your all, and he gave you his all. And he's not asking for something that he hasn't already done for you. He's not cheating you out of something. He just wants you part of the adventure. And I think it's time as the church that we get back to the heart of the matter. 